You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I'd like to start out by reminding you that you can still sign up for my course, Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. Uh, and that is available at wealthformularoadmap.com. That is a course that is accompanied with membership uh, for three months, complimentary membership to the Wealth Formula Network, which is the Wealth Formula Tribe. So certainly check that out if you want to get more involved with the community. Uh, that's the way to do it. Also, if you want to just get a copy of my free book, certainly go to wealthformula.com. And there's actually all sorts of things you can download there, but one of the things you can do is download my best-selling book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which you can also get by simply texting me at 44222 and typing Wealth Formula, one word. Again, that's 44222 Wealth Formula, one word. Now, on to today's show. We are living in a world that is technologically transforming at the speed of light. And uh, distributed ledger technologies on the forefront of that metamorphosis. You know, most people think of distributed ledger technology in terms of Bitcoin, right? That's the only thing they know about what's going on here. And they may not even know that much about Bitcoin. But Bitcoin only scratches the surface of what will be the most important technological advancement since the Internet. Mark my words, that is going to be the case. And that is the reason... That when my cryptocurrency portfolio dropped in value over 50%, I just bought more. You know, I saw all these, you know, emails coming out from some of these other financial guys talking about how, oh, there's debt and it was tulips and all that. But I knew it was not the case. I don't believe that it's the case. This is a big deal. This is technology. Tulips had, was not technology. Technology is real. And now... I believe we are on the precipice of the next big move upward in this market. And behind the scenes, the big money knows this, you know? I mean, despite Jamie Dimon's commentary and the big bank's resistance to the movement, the big money is moving in for the kill. That's what's really going on. Institutional investors like BlackRock, Wellington Capital, you got billionaires like George Soros who are taking note and thinking about getting into the market. And when they finally make their move, it will happen quickly. And believe me, it's going to be explosive. And there's going to be an extraordinary amount of wealth that's going to be created. People are going to get rich. I truly believe this. The question is, what are you going to do? Now, if you want to sit on the sidelines because of the speculative nature of the investment, I don't blame you. In fact, you know, I'm not going to encourage anyone to get into this if you're concerned about losing money. I mean, I lost 50%. I'm back up, almost back to where I was. But I didn't sweat it at all. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars that, you know, that, that, that were just evaporated. But I didn't care because I never put in money in there that I wasn't willing to lose. So in your case... Uh, if there was ever time to consider skipping a new BMW for the year, which has no chance of making you money, zero chance of making you money, as soon as you drive it off the lot, you're going to effectively you know, depreciate. And it's not the good kind of depreciation. It's seriously just depreciating in value. Instead of that, maybe you should consider buying cryptocurrency instead. 
And if there was ever a time to speculate, I believe that time is now. But again, I do not encourage you to do so. I want you to make that decision for yourself. I'm just telling you my opinion. Now, if you want an introduction to distributed ledger technology and Bitcoin and all these things that we talk about, a good place to start would be episode 86 of Wealth Formula Podcast. And if you have not listened to that, go back and listen to that first. That's when I first interviewed Tika Tiwari of Palm Beach Confidential Newsletter. And since then, a lot has changed. But uh, I had the good fortune to speak to him again uh, to catch up on what's going on in the crypto world right now. And that's what this episode of Wealth Formula Podcast is going to be about. This is the advanced course. So again, if you have not listened to episode 86, go back and listen to that first and then come back and listen to this. And what you will find is that if you have a fear of missing out on this opportunity of a lifetime, it may be warranted. And when we come back, you'll hear why. Now, welcome back to the show, everyone. Now, cryptocurrency, uh, the world of cryptocurrency is indeed the Wild West. There are fortunes to be made and to be lost. And there are many charlatans hiding behind the veil of this new exciting technology understood by few. So you have to be careful who you trust. And one of the only people in the public eye that I pay attention to when it comes to cryptocurrency is Tika Tuwari, who's been on our show before and who is editor of the Palm Beach Confidential Newsletter, to which I am subscribed. Now, since rising through the ranks on Wall Street to become the youngest vice president in the history of Shearson Lehman, and at the time, the highest producing brokerage firm in the world, uh, this wonderkind, uh, as he was known back then, uh, Tika Tawari, has built his reputation on being able to spot the big trends. He's run his own private international hedge fund, featured on as an expert uh, on financial uh, news shows on Fox, uh, CNBC, ABC's Nightline. And by the age of 27, Tika had already made millions for himself and his clients, and, and he had decided to Wall, uh, retire from Wall Street in 2005. Now, and now he's one of the leading voices bridging the nebulous world of cryptocurrency to investors like you and me. Uh, Tika, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Buck, that's a heck of an introduction. Thank you so much. It's, it's such a pleasure to be back on the show. Great. I love having you on because crypto is a tough, tough thing, a tough nut to crack for a lot of people. And I think you are a guy with a lot of integrity and we can trust what you say and you're smart as hell. So this is great. So the last time we talked, uh, Tika, that was back in December. And I remember it well because I was literally recorded it on my way out of uh, evacuating from Santa Barbara as the fires were behind me and Bitcoin was trading over $20,000. Um, and then within a couple of months, we were below 7,000, and some of the altcoins were down 80% or more. What happened? So this is uh, very normal in a new emerging economy. And so if it, depending upon how old you are and how much experience you have in the market, you really haven't seen markets like this before. The last time we had an emerging technology market that was this volatile, was from the period of, of 1986 to the year 2000. So this was when technology stocks were first coming on the scene. If you remember, Buck, you know, in the 80s, uh, tech was just getting started, right? Very few people had a computer. Uh, so I remember in 1990, I was working on Wall Street, 
Uh, I was buying tech stocks in early 1990. And then as we got uh, deeper into 1990, we had a massive crash uh, in technology. Uh, you know, I held stocks like Oracle that dropped 80 percent in value. Mm. Right. I mean, it was yeah. just an absolute horror show. And and the narrative back then was, well, you know, why do we need databases? You know, our, our filing system works great. Right? Yeah, right, right. Sure. <laughs> why do we why do we need a local area network? I just pick up the phone and tell my secretary what to do. Right. So there was all this entrenched thinking that that couldn't understand the value behind technology. And 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 during that period, the late 80s to the mid mid 90s, you would see moves in tech that were outlandish. One day, everybody loved them and they were amazing. The next day, uh, they were just crashing in value. So having lived through that, Buck, it's given me a unique um, uh, perspective on how to handle the volatility in, in cryptocurrency. And so um, so that's one way that, that, uh, uh, that, that we deal with that. And then the other is, is I always say, don't put any more in a cryptocurrency than you're willing to lose. Sure. Uh, and that gives you the ability to have staying power. And just to put this move in perspective, this is the fourth time in two years that I've had to deal with 80% drops, uh, you know, among the altcoins. So, yeah. so you know, this is this is not new. Well, you know, it, it it's interesting that you mentioned the the initial, uh, you know, the, that comparison with tech early in the late 80s and 90s, that because right now the total market cap of the crypto market is still only it's about 400 billion dollars, right? Um, right. Now, as a former Wall Street guy, uh, can you give us perspective? Because obviously, a lot of us have four hundred billion. Sounds like a lot of money. G you know, what? Give us some perspective on how small that really is, and how that particular uh, variable makes volatility easier to happen. So think about it this way: I did a study comparing Nasdaq, which was a tech, has always been a tech-heavy index to the current uh, cryptocurrency market. And NASDAQ launched in 1971. On an inflation-adjusted basis, the cryptocurrency market has the same valuation as NASDAQ had in 1974, okay? So, and NASDAQ in 1974 was the Wild West for the exact reason uh, that, that you mentioned. When, you know, when a market is small, uh, volatility is outsized. If, as you look at the as, as a market matures and gets bigger, volatility starts getting lower. And so a lot of people um, that are unsure about crypto say, well, I'll wait till the volatility goes down. But here's the thing. The opportunity to make outlandish sums of money will disappear once the volatility reduces. Microsoft is a prime example. Microsoft, if you bought it in the 80s or even in the early 90s, yes, with enormous volatility, but you also made enormous profits. Whereas if you buy Microsoft now, you'll do okay, but the ability to make enormous profits from a small amount of money have disappeared because Microsoft has gone from a $500 million company to a $500 billion plus company, right? And so so that's the difference. When you talk about valuations in the crypto market, what do you mean by that? Because when I think of valuations, I think of earnings, right? Um, and, well, when, and I, when, I, when I say valuation, I mean the, the value, the market capitalization of the of cryptocurrencies in the market right now matches the market that the total market size of the Nasdaq 
1974 okay. on an inflation-adjusted basis. Now, there's That's another I mean. variable there which um, which seems to that I've heard you mention before, which is the idea that you know we live in different times, and so time is is now uh, contracted, right, in this period of time versus when when we yes. didn't have the internet and that sort of thing. Right. So that 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 leads me to another question that I get. Well, you know, Tika, are we going to have to wait from 1974 to 1995 for you know right. for these things to boom? So the difference is is that because of of technology and how it has streamlined everybody's ability to get access to information, because now everybody can get access to the markets through their phone, what we see it are, are much faster moves, right, than we've ever seen before. So. You know, we saw the whole cryptocurrency market last year go from 15 billion to 850 billion. We've never seen an equity market move that quickly. Uh, 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 generally, when equity markets have massive moves like that, they happen over 15, 20 year periods. So we're definitely in uncharted territory because we've never had an asset class that was purely digital that anybody could get involved with, and that was a global asset class. So what I mean by that is, is that Bitcoin is not just traded in America the way that Microsoft was primarily traded in the 80s and 90s. It was, it was an American phenomenon, right? You know, things like Bitcoin are traded uh, by everyone. Anyone can trade it. And so this is why I think not only are the, the moves going to happen faster, but the ultimate move higher, I believe, is going to be much, much bigger. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what's in store for us in the next couple couple years. I mean, you've been talking about institutional buyers a lot on the sidelines waiting to get in. Um, who are they and what are they waiting for? So uh, I, this is a thesis that I have called the second boom. Right. So the first boom was uh, individuals coming into the market. And the second boom is when institutions come into the market. So, again, if we draw a parallel back to the 90s uh, and the Internet, um, up to 1994, institutions had no interest in the internet. They thought it was dumb. They thought it was uh, uh, it was just a market crowded with individuals, and uh, they just didn't see any any value in it. Um, and then the, the Netflix IPO, not Netflix, Netscape IPO came out, and then all this money started coming into the space. And between 1994 and 1995 was this transition year where institutions finally took uh, the internet stocks seriously. And between 95 and 2000, they pumped $5 trillion into them. So what I'm suggesting is that something similar is going to take place now. And, and why I believe that is because I'm seeing uh, little hints from different institutions. So, for instance, uh, BlackRock, which is the world's largest um, uh, asset manager, something like $6.5 trillion under management, have publicly stated that they are looking at crypto assets. Goldman Sachs, there's constant rumors that they're going to come out with a crypto trading desk. I believe it'll probably it'll happen uh, before June. Uh, Wellington Capital Management, which has over a trillion dollars under management, is already trading uh, uh, Bitcoin futures. Now you asked, you know, what's been keeping them on the sidelines? Why haven't they come in yet? It has to do with this arcane uh, uh, investment act from 1940, which states that as uh, if you are if your business has been created under the 1940 investment act you can't take physical possession of the of the stocks that you hold for your customers and this is done to protect your customers from unscrupulous money managers 
that will raise money, hold the stocks, and then abscond with the money. So what you have to use is someone called a custodian. And uh -huh. this third-party custodian holds the assets uh, on behalf of, of you, which is held on behalf of, of your clients. Now, in the crypto world, uh, custody is, is a brand new idea. We are just starting to see um, custodians start to come into the market. And so what I think you'll see this year, Buck, specifically in, by mid-June, uh, sorry, by mid-May, is a series of announcements of institutional custodians uh, that are stepping into the market that will allow uh, institutional capital to come into the market. So think of it like right now, money moves along this kind of bicycle track in the cryptocurrency world. And, and what we need is a six lane feeder lane superhighway to bring that institutional capital into the market. And that feeder superhighway is, is custody. Uh, and it's coming. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, I've not heard that. And that really explains a lot because, you know, I, I just keep hearing about institutional investors wanting to get in. I'm like, well, why aren't they getting in, though? I mean, you would think an 80 percent sell off and <laughs> would trigger some buyers. But <laughs> but uh, but that certainly makes sense. Now, um, let me ask you this, because you've got uh, institutional buyers coming in. And is are they going to just pretty much be buying buying Bitcoin? I mean, is that is that pretty much what we should be expecting at that point and like sort of a preponderance of Bitcoin dominance over the course of the next year? Yes, they will start with Bitcoin. But I always said Bitcoin is kind of the gateway drug to crypto. So they'll go to Bitcoin, then they'll go to Ethereum, um, they'll go to Ripple and then which are the top three. And then they'll start getting involved in the rest of the altcoins. Now, institutions, they're humans just like us. And I speak to a lot of them. And Buck, we as individuals are so far ahead of the learning curve of institutions. So, you know, I was speaking to um, uh, a, a tech person that advises institutions. And she did not know the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum, the difference between a cryptocurrency and a distributed operating system. Huh. Now, granted, not a lot of people would know that. But if you're advising uh, institutional money, yeah. that's you should know that difference. Yeah. So, so there's a learning curve that, the, that this entire market has to go up, right? So, so it's going to create a bit of a lag. But once they climb that learning curve, fuck, these are very smart people, uh, and they start putting the pieces together the way that we have for the last couple of years. Oh, my good Lord, it's going to yeah. unleash a torrent of money. Now, you know, when they get in, uh, you know, I, I've heard people talk about Bitcoin and, and cryptos in general as um, an asset class that is considered maybe uncorrelated to the equity markets. But I would think that now if you've got institutional money, that that crypto market becomes increasingly correlated with the equity markets. Is that what do you think? I think right now, all the studies that I have read has shown that, that Bitcoin is a, a non-correlated asset. The, the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, did a great study on that. Um, now, asset correlations change, Buck. So if, if institutions take 5% of their allocation and throw it into crypto, you're right. Perhaps new correlations will emerge. But for now... Um, one of the narratives that I think that will take hold within the institutional arena, 
and that will cause a lot of money to flow into coins like Bitcoin is the fact that it is non-correlated. So let me just explain what that means really quickly for, for your listeners. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, on Wall Street, they'll own a, a typical asset allocation will be, let's say, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And they do that because, generally speaking, stocks and bonds will move for different reasons. So if one is, if one asset class is up, another asset class might be down. If one asset class is down, the other asset class might be up. So this, 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 uh, uh, because they're they're usually inversely correlated, uh, it can tamp down volatility. What what people are excited about with Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is completely uncorrelated to any other asset class. What that means is, is that the reasons that move stocks, bonds, gold, and oil up and down are completely unrelated to Bitcoin, right? It, it really is the only asset I've seen that, it, that completely sidesteps the business cycle, right? It's not impacted by the business cycle at all. It's not impacted by interest rates at all. And that makes it interesting because if you put a small amount of it in a broad portfolio, you can actually lower the overall volatility of your entire portfolio. And, and, and there are many studies now that are coming to this conclusion. And I think we will see some very large institutions uh, start to have a small weighting of Bitcoin or uh, some of the altcoins, larger altcoins in their portfolio in order to uh, 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 lower their overall volatility of their assets. Yeah, and then that and that of course then increases the overall market cap, and then that decreases volatility as well. Correct. Right. Although the like as you said, the correlation might start to become there might might end up being some kind of correlation because all of a sudden, you know, these are holders of multiple different asset classes, and when things sell off, one sells off, the other typically I, follows. I, but so. I don't think we need to worry about that. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring that up, Pika, is because so many people are worried yeah. about the markets right now, you know, about the equity markets in, 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 in specific. You're seeing these kind of weird tumbling of the Dow Jones every few days and, you know, the global instability and, you know, waiting for black swans, that sort of thing. So that's kind of what I was trying to trying to figure yeah. out. But it sounds like that's not something to worry about too much right now. I, I don't think now. I, I think we're still you know, we're still playing with, with blocks, right? Right. <laughs> in this right. market. Yeah. It's still, it's still very much ABC. And I think that's more of an XYZ problem. Yeah. So you talk about some other indicators other than just money. Um, what else do you see that suggests that distributed letter, ledger technologies for, for real, that it's here to stay, that it really is the future? Well, this is again, another lesson that that I learned um, from the 80s and 90s is that even if a technology is difficult to use or difficult to understand, if there is a promise that the technology can radically reduce costs, then, then corporations will um, explore and ultimately use that technology. So the, the very first desktop computers that were running uh, Microsoft, right, they weren't used running Windows. They were running MS-DOS, and you had to use these DOS prompts. Do you remember that, Buck? Yeah, well, it, it, kind of. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't advanced <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, you had to use line commands, right? Uh -huh. And, uh, uh, and it, it was just it was ridiculous. Yeah. You had to know programming. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and yet people bought personal computers and people bought Microsoft uh, products. And then uh, eventually Microsoft, you know, got it right and they, they created Windows and they created a graphical user interface. And so they made it much easier to use. And then, of course, computers exploded. And, and then, you know, by the end of the decade, there really was a, a computer on, on every desktop, which if you had suggested that in even in 1990, people would have looked at you like you were crazy. So what I'm saying is, is that distributed ledger technology offers the ability to radically reduce costs, right? It, it, you can eliminate the middleman. So I'll give you one example. Um, you know, let's say you and I buy and sell a stock with one another in the, in the stock market. So there, it takes about three to five days for that trade to clear on the back end. And it's incredibly expensive. So um, uh, studies have been done is, you know, what if we could move all of that to a blockchain? So we wouldn't, I wouldn't have to verify that Buck actually owns his stock and Buck wouldn't have to verify that Tika actually has the money he says he has because it will be secured on a blockchain, which is at this point tamper proof. Um, you know, one study uh, by... Uh, 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 Santa and a, a big bank suggest that one application of blockchain technology can save the big banks $20 billion a year. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's massive. That's so much money that you just, you can't ignore that. Yeah. So, but on the uh, other there hand, there's also an existential issue for the banks themselves in that scenario, right? Where, where, um, you know, you may, you may make it so that you, they can kind of get squeezed out of the entire uh, process potentially. Well, what I think you'll see happen is um, is you'll see new companies rise up that will assume these technologies and and displace much of the profits old profit centers that banks have relied upon. I don't think the banks are, are going out of business, but I think many of their profit centers, like cross border remittance, let's say that's me sending money to somebody overseas, that business is going to get destroyed. By um, uh, by blockchain, yeah. um, uh, 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 because it's just it, it, just recently somebody sent ninety nine million dollars worth of Litecoin to somebody else. They did the trade instantly, and it cost forty cents. Wow! Do you do you know what that would cost to do through a bank? At least one or two percent. Yeah. So you sent ninety nine million, and you'd get maybe ninety eight million on the other end, or ninety seven wow. and a half. On yeah. the other end, right? That's the bank sitting in the middle taking its cut. Yeah, that's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about some of the the you know the things that could hold back this whole progress. And one of the things that con comes up frequently, obviously, is regulation. Um, as the market matures, it's clearly changing, right? ICOs, for the most part, seem to be going away uh, in in the traditional way that they were kind of coming out before. Um, how will this regulation positively and negatively impact the growth of this market, say, in the next few years? Well, just to uh, make a comment on ICOs, we've already raised more money on ICOs now in April than we did all of last year. Wow. So ICOs haven't gone away. What's what's happening is is that the, the ICO market is moving away from the United States. I see. The United States has, is creating a regulatory environment where – uh, uh, where it's getting left out in the cold. Now, I agree there needs to be a, a certain element of regulation on ICOs because many of the ICOs that are out there are fraudulent. And I've, I've always said that, Buck. 
whenever I've been asked about this, I said, you know, 95% of the ICOs out there are either, either fraudulent or bad ideas, right? right? But but you need bad ideas to find the good ideas, right? You needed a pets.com in order to uncover an amazon.com. I mean, right. that's pets.com wasn't a fraud. It was just a really bad idea. Yeah. So this is a, a, a you know, an iterative process that technology and applications of that technology have to go through. And I think that the current regulatory environment in America has really stifled that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the 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 bad thing about this, the regulation part of, of of protecting consumers is is great. The problem that I've seen, Tika, is that um, you know I you know I happen to be an accredited investor. A lot of people in my my listeners are accredited investors, and so now if there's a really particularly interesting project, uh, say uh, you know that I'm interested in, I have to go through that process, and maybe I'll get involved with a pre-sale. But now it's more like a traditional, you know, uh, private equity offering, which is fine and it protects people. But on the other hand, there was something about distributed ledger technology and that ethos that 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 sort of you know now makes it less accessible to people who are not um, uh, you know mid to high net worth. Well, what was neat? What, yeah. what was neat before was that you had a leveling playing level playing field. So if you right. were really willing to do the work, read the white papers, talk to the insiders, and and be able to tell the good deals from the bad deals, you were able to get into a deal like. Uh, factum at pennies and watch it go to 80 right you were able to get into a deal like ethereum at 30 cents and watch it go to 1400 right right so 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 that that guy or that girl who's who's really smart but maybe is not rich yet is not, not uh, 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 doesn't have the uh, net worth to get into those deals now i mean that that person's screwed yep. which i think is terrible yeah i, I think it's terrible yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that kind of is too bad about it. But but on the other hand, you're right. I mean, there's, <clears throat> you know, I think if this market is maturing, it, um, you know, it needs to have some regulation so that, you know, we it can continue to grow. You can have institutional money, uh, you know, going around when there's, it's the Wild West and there's very little control and you've got, you know, big uh, potentially pension funds, et cetera, in this milieu, it just it, it no. makes it difficult, right? So, um, so there are also obviously very strong forces. We talked a little bit about, you know, Chase. Uh, you know, banks in general, like Chase and Bank of America, clearly are uh, you know trying to uh, you know see Jamie Dimon talking about Bitcoin as a fraud. Has been very uh, adamant against it, making it difficult for people to even buy uh, off of uh, using credit cards, debit cards off of. Um, off of Coinbase, how do you think that tension is going to play out and resolve itself? You know, this reminds me of a story that I read about back in the early days of the railroad, when the 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 ferry, the guys that controlled the ferries hated the railroads. So the, they what they would make them do is you would have the railroad that would go to a river. And, and they had to cut these deals where they couldn't have a bridge crossing the river. Everybody had to get off the railroad, get off the train, go onto the ferry, cross the river, and then there was another train waiting for them on the other side, right? Yeah. So, so we'll see some type of compromise like that until the, until it gets so ridiculous that that uh, 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 and blockchain becomes so pervasive and so politically powerful 
that they'll be able to move the banks aside. But again, this type of, um, you know, uh, an incumbent trying to block a new technology is not new in the United States. Right, right, absolutely. <clears throat> and we're seeing all these things happen quicker. You know, everything's moving quicker now. So that's that's the interesting thing about the way we're witnessing it. Instead of viewing something happening and evolve over years and years, it's really fast. Now, so based on where, so let, let's do some prediction time. So based on what you know, <laughs> where Bitcoin, uh, you know, what's happening with the institutions, with the custodians yeah. that we talked about, uh, the money on the sidelines, yes. where does Bitcoin end up at the end of 2018? Forty thousand dollars of Bitcoin. Nice. And where does it where does it end up in five years? I can't answer that question right now because there's there's just too many variables um, uh, between now and five yeah, years. I hear you. Yeah, that's uh, like a that's like two hundred years in anything else, right? It re- it really is. Buck. It yeah. really <laughs> is. <laughs> right. Um, well, let me ask you this. Does Bitcoin continue to prevail uh, in perpetuity as the dominant uh, cryptocurrency uh, for the foreseeable, you know, five years? Or is that not even something you could really say? I can't say I can't. Nobody can answer that. And and anybody that tries to answer that, quite frankly, I would consider to be foolish. Right. Um, Based on where we are and how entrenched Bitcoin is and how much money has been allocated just to the physical infrastructure, the mining equipment that supports the Bitcoin blockchain, in, 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 in my belief, you know, Bitcoin will continue to be the, the preeminent blockchain, um, the, the one blockchain that people trust above all others. Um, and I, I think this is the reason why Bitcoin will continue to be the reserve currency uh, of the space. Now, will that last forever? I can't answer that question. Yeah. I mean, people in the 50s thought IBM was going to be the preeminent tech company forever. In the 90s, people thought Microsoft was going to be the preeminent tech company forever. Tech changes, and it changes rapidly. But but you don't have to get the 50-year picture right. Yeah. Right? I mean, you get the one- to three-year picture right and just make buckets full of money. Yeah, my, my, uh, my question along that lines that, that I've been thinking about is, is we, we ought to be thinking, should we be thinking of Bitcoin as gold, as a new form of gold, not necessarily a company, but obviously there's much more efficient ways of, uh, much more efficient ways of transferring money, but gold continues to be in the background as sort of this, you know, there's a finite amount, you know, in many res- respects, Bitcoin has a lot more in common with gold than than with fiat currency. Um, so that's really, to me, what the question is. Even though it's cl- maybe it's a little clunky, maybe it's a little inefficient, um, maybe it, it just maintains its its role as a storage of value. Yeah, I, I think there are strong parallels between Bitcoin and gold right now. But I think as the technology advances, we will see higher use cases for Bitcoin. So for instance, the Lightning Network has just launched which is going to finally allow Bitcoin to scale, right? So you can have much faster transaction times, more information uh, taking place uh, in a block, and um, uh, at much lower costs. So we haven't even seen applications built yet on that on that, quite frankly, transformative technology. Right. And so you know, one of the things that I think we'll see, Buck, is that 
the Bitcoin network will emerge as a place where other people can write data to to secure it. So let's say we can say uh, our medical records secured by the Bitcoin blockchain, right? So the, the beauty of the Bitcoin blockchain is it's virtually impossible to hack. It, it would just take tens of billions of dollars and enormous resources to hack. It, it, it's economically, it's the equivalent of laying siege to a castle that only has one dollar in it, right? right it just right. Economically, that doesn't make sense, right? You don't you don't wage right, war right. <laughs> for one dollar, yeah, yeah. which is the beauty of the Bitcoin network. So, you know, as Bitcoin starts to scale, what I think you will see is applications get built that will allow people to um, secure parts of their data, hashes of their data, into the Bitcoin blockchain as a way to make their data uh, to create a, a an auditable uh, trail of the sanctity of their data, which I, I know is it's very um, it's 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 a very deep application of of the technology, but it's a huge problem. You know, we see data get tampered with all the time. Just look at Wells Fargo; they've got a you know a a, a rap sheet that goes back ten years of them messing around uh, with people's paperwork. Uh, something like this would absolutely prevent them from doing that. Now, Ethereum is 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 uh got a lot more vulnerabilities right ethereum is is different ethereum um I, there's going to be a lot of competition in that space right so what ethereum is imagine a, 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 a ethereum's like an operating system so it's a way for you to launch your own blockchain right without without, without having to uh invest in thousands of distributed computers Right. So think of it like iOS or or, or, or an operating system that like Android. Um, so Ethereum has first user advantage. It's very easy to issue new tokens. Uh, there's a huge infrastructure already to accept Ethereum tokens, which have a designation called ERC-20. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that 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 can last forever. But I also don't think this is a binary argument. I don't think it's, well, Ethereum either wins completely wins or completely loses. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty big space and, and you can have more than one uh, uh, blockchain yeah. that allows you to run computer programs. Well, one thing that, you know, and, and, and we'll um, try to wrap it up here in a sec, but I think this is, an, this, I've been thinking about this a lot this year is for, uh, from the standpoint of where Ethereum uh, has that, um, you know, that operating system uh, quality there hasn't been a lot of other blockchains that were really mature enough to to take that role on. But now, you know, NEO and we've got EOS and, you know, these other uh, these other uh, cryptocurrencies that um, that certainly have uh, probably we're, we're going to see some ICOs built on them. And so I yes. wonder if that's going to be um, personally for me, I'm, I'm a lot more bullish on say, a NEO or an EOS this year than I am Ethereum. So, I, I would agree. I think EOS and NEO will outperform um, Ethereum quite dramatically. Uh, I like NEO a lot. Right. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, and it makes sense, too, because they're, they're, they were a lot further behind in their development process, right? You know, Ethereum was in development from 2015, really late 2014, early 2015. So it's had years uh, to develop, uh, whereas uh, Neo was launched, you know, a little over a year and year and a half ago, 
uh, an EOS was launched just you know, last summer. So um, I think it's going to be a, an interesting time. And uh, uh, I'm with you. I, I like both of those names quite a bit. Well, listen, I uh, don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I know a number of my listeners became subscribers to Palm Beach Confidential since our last podcast. First of all, is it open right now? And if it, if there, if it's not, is there like a waiting list where people can get notified when it is? Um, yeah, if you go to uh, joinbigt.com, um, uh, you can check that out. There should be a waiting list there. Um, and then uh, you, you can also check out uh, Palm Beach Research Group where we have uh, Palm Beach Daily, which is a free newsletter. And, um, you know, get on our lists and, and you know, you'll be notified the next time we, we reopen uh, Palm Beach Confidential. And if everybody, if people out there enjoyed this conversation today, I mean, this is this is a newsletter you definitely need to get. Um, I'm a subscriber. I enjoy it. So, Tika, thanks again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. I know you're in uh, Puerto Rico and you've, you've made some uh, – uh, you've, you've tried very diff- <laughs> tried with great effort to get some connectivity over there. So we really do appreciate the effort. You got it, Buck. Always a pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. That sounds great. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. If you haven't done anything in the crypto space yet and are excited to do so, especially after hearing Tika here, uh, there is an enormous amount of content that is free. Uh, on on YouTube. And frankly, that's how I first learned how to do this stuff myself. And that could get you started. You can also go to wealthformula.com in the resources section and simply click the affiliate link to get yourself uh, started buying Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, by uh, getting a, getting a Coinbase account. And you also have a, an affiliate link there if you'd like me to get a couple of pennies from that. It doesn't cost you anything, but uh, to go there and open a Binance account so that you can trade for other coins. I should also note that those of you who are part of Wealth Formula Network will also be happy to know that I'm going to start doing some cryptocurrency training for members in there. Uh, that's going to be in the next 30 days or so. Uh, there's going to be a lot of ongoing education in that forum. Uh, right now, the forum, which is Wealth Formula Network again, the Wealth Formula Tribe, is only open to people who've purchased a course, uh, which is my uh, my course, Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. And if you're interested in that, you can check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. Anyway, check it out. It might be of interest to you. I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope you're as excited about this area, this technology, and the possibility of it really being transformative, not only to your pocketbook, but to our lives. And that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.